Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, where we discuss digital transformation and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here, some of the most innovative thinkers and leaders in healthcare and technology talk about how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Will O'Connor, Chief Medical Information Officer for Tiger Direct. Will, thank you so much for taking the time, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. Thank you very much. So why don't we get started? For the benefit of our listeners, do you want to tell us a little bit about who Tiger Connect is and what marketplace need you're serving? Yeah, Tiger Connect, we are in the clinical collaboration and communication space, one of several providers in that space. And mostly we work with providers, some big, some small. We have about 6,000 customers all over the world now, mostly in the United States. And, you know, at the core, we provide a communication solution that uh, removes barriers, removes friction, and is designed to let healthcare practitioners and other people involved in healthcare, including patients, communicate easier, faster, better, more accurately. Right. So just a little bit more about your company. Are you you're privately held? Are you uh, VC funded or mostly privately closely held? What's the structure of your company? Yeah, we're privately held and uh, it's a pretty small investment group. But yeah, it's pri- privately held. Yep. Okay. So Tell us a little bit, what have, what have been your company's observations on how healthcare enterprises, specifically health systems, what have been their big challenges in responding to this pandemic? And, you know, they went overnight from running business as usual to something completely that they were completely unprepared for. So what did you guys see first when you started seeing health systems confront this problem? Yeah, Patty, it's a great question. To some degree, we saw this coming a little bit. Singapore is a very large customer of ours. And as you know, they were impacted by COVID-19 several weeks before the United States and really had their their surge before that. And, and since they're a customer, we were able to see their message volumes. And we saw a big spike in their, their message volumes. So we, we knew how serious this was based on how they were communicating. And it really gave us some good hints at what we needed to to do here to help prepare. Our overall messages went from about, uh, it took to go from 4 million messages a day to 5 million messages a day, took us about 160 days. And that happened late last year. And we went from 5 million messages to 6 million messages growth in just 10 days. So we saw this tremendous growth starting uh, in Singapore, and now that has translated uh, across the United States as well. And a lot of our big customers, people like you know Geisinger, uh, St. Luke's, Temple, New Mexico, RW, RWJ Barnabas, have, have really seen the numbers of messages they are sending go up and up and up. And I think you know, what you're seeing is just more communication, more open communication and constant communication relative to COVID-19 in a lot of these places and trying to use our system to coordinate. One of our CIOs just told me yesterday 
that were in every single workflow that they that they have, and she could not imagine what they would be doing without us. So we've seen communication really regarded now as something really premium, really needed. And, you know, this was not always the case. So, you know, CIOs have definitely had to, to flex and to be ready for that. I think it was a wake-up call for lots of people, CIOs included. This is I think this has sort of become our our 9/11 moment for healthcare. So you know what we're seeing is, you know, in the last two to three weeks, we've probably seen what I would consider 10 to 15 years of advancement in telehealth, both in in policy and in practice. You know, folks are now able to get reimbursed for this, and we're seeing a, a massive uptick. I think Geisinger has seen a 500% increase in telehealth visits. Another big problem, another big issue CIOs are having are they have been moving a lot of people to become remote workers. Geisinger saw that as well. I think they had uh, more than a doubling of the amount of remote workers that they, uh, as you said, almost overnight had to figure out how to support um, and move all those people out of the hospital and move them home. So that was another big thing for them as well. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Geisinger. Actually, uh, John Kravitz, who is the CIO of Geisinger, was a guest on this podcast. And this is an ongoing series of podcasts that I'm calling Coronavirus Conversations. It's essentially taking a look at how technology is enabling the response to the pandemic in the short term, but also taking a, a longer-term view as to how this is all going to play out in the new normal, whatever that new normal may be. I want to come back and unpack some of the things that you said. You're absolutely right. You know, everyone that I've talked to, they've kind of seen any virtual care modality has seen a dramatic spike in volume. So whether it is telehealth, uh, synchronous uh, video consults, whether it is e-visits, symptom triaging tools, all of the above, they're all seeing, I talked to Providence Health as well, and they had the same kind of spike that they've seen. So coming to your the messaging itself, can you tell me a little bit more? So most of the messaging that you're talking about, is it between caregivers, among caregivers, or is it caregivers to patients? Is it a combination of the two? Can you kind of unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. It's, it's a combination of the two, but I think the preponderance of the communication increase has been on the clinical side with clinician to clinician, you know, trying to coordinate care for patients and coordinate it quickly. But we've seen an uptick on the on the patient side as well. And there's a lot of, of use cases that we've seen, you know, really come into play overnight that we would not even have uh, really even imagined just a month ago or so. And I can give you a, a couple of examples of that. Certainly, we've seen an uptick in, in virtual care. So that's where we've seen an increase in the, in the patient communication volumes. And there has been a premium placed on the ability to be able to communicate with the patient, even though uh, HIPAA has been partially waived you're still responsible for a breach. So we've seen a premium placed on being able to communicate with a patient in a a HIPAA compliant uh, way that you can still report on, but keeping that patient at home if at all possible and keeping them out of that physical location so you can save those for the patients that need it. And that's done a couple of things. 
it certainly helped organizations address the surge that they're seeing. They still have all the normal patients that need care, I would say, with the exception of flu. The amount of flu people are seeing has dropped off the chart, essentially, and has been replaced by, by COVID. But you're still seeing all your heart failure patients, you know, all your diabetics, all your hypertensives, many of whom can be managed remotely. So I think that's a permanent sea change that we will see. It saves time, saves money, and you can deliver a, a great quality of care. But you know that, that surge, being able to address that surge in patients has been a big use case that we've seen that has, that has really spiked the volumes. I think the other, the big one that I would think of that we've seen right away is using the application to keep on-site workers safe and, and being able to connect staff and then being able to connect patients and staff and do so in a virtual way where now the practitioner doesn't necessarily have to enter the patient room. They can have a conversation, a secure conversation, voice, video, or text with the patient from a location. They could be, you know, in the hallway and, and not wanting to put on PPE, the protective gear, or they could be, you know, in their office 50 miles away offering care and giving care to that patient. And it's become exceptionally important. Look, every doctor there is took an oath when we graduated medical school and became doctors. And the beginning of that oath is to first do no harm. That includes us too. That includes our families. So, you know, with the lack of personal protective equipment that is out there and some of the problems that we've had, you know, being able to keep practitioners, nurses, physicians, respiratory therapists safe and giving them the ability to interact with a patient, but be outside their room in a sterile area that's where the patient is, is not and keep that patient in isolation. I can't think of anything more important that we're doing. I just saw an article about 30 minutes before I dialed in with you, Henry Ford in Detroit uh, came out today. 734 workers have already been infected with COVID-19 and we're just getting started. So I can't think of a more critical issue for a CIO than enabling their practitioners the ability to provide telehealth and real-time virtual care. Right. So I imagine that the communication tool that you're, you're referring to is a simple app of some kind, and then you use that to uh, have secure communication between among caregivers as well as between caregivers and their patients. How does any communication tool like this integrate with, let's say, a backend system like an electronic health record system? I imagine there is more value than just the communication. There's value in analyzing the nature of the communication to see whether there is uh, some additional insight you can get, whether there's some patterns that you can detect I'd be very interested in that. You mentioned that in Singapore you saw, by the way, I have friends in Singapore, and they've done some interesting things, including the contact tracer, which, uh, which is a phenomenal tool that has really helped them to keep a lid on their infections uh, because like 700,000 people have downloaded them. But coming back to this, uh, is there a utility to this communication, this messaging platform that is more than just a communication tool with something that can provide you with let's say, a leading indicator of something that's going to happen or some additional insight, let's say a pattern in one hospital that you could then abstract 
and maybe make available to another hospital. Is there any aspect of that that you guys are either working on or, you know, is it something, is there any possibility there that you could possibly share about, uh, share with us? Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot there. Let me try to answer a few, a few parts of that, give you some, some information. It is an application. It is an app. We develop natively on both iOS as well as Android. But the beauty of it is you don't need the app. So if you're being communicated to by someone that is using Tiger Connect and you don't have the app, it simply just sends you a SMS with a secure link. You click on that link and you immediately open into a, uh, a browser window where you have a very similar experience to as if you would have the, the app itself. And what we found was that reduces the amount of friction. We, we've seen as an industry... I would say a relative lack of success with patient portals that are relatively heavy and, and hard to use. This requires really the end user just to have some sort of internet connection and a, and a phone. That's it. So reducing that amount of friction has helped tremendously. But most of the end users that we have that use it every day will have the uh, application that they download onto, uh, onto their phone. As far as, as patterns, we do have a full reporting suite that comes along with the application and that can be used for reporting on things like the amount of telehealth someone is providing, length of conversations, things like that. But what we can also see within hospitals where we can really help them both inside the hospital and then out in the community is we can see the amount of communication going on. We, of course, can't see the messages. Those are all secure and, and we, we cannot see those, but we can see the numbers of them. And then folks that have our service can uh, report on those and see different things like, well, this department's not really using the application or they're not you know, connecting or sending as many messages as we would expect to this other department. You know, what is going on there? So it allows them to dig into those data and perhaps there may, may be a department within the hospital that's not connected the right way. You know, maybe their end users aren't fully deployed on it for different things like that. So we can spot some patterns and help people get more utility out of it. Uh, and then out in the community as well, we can check referral patterns. So folks with our applications can see, you know, if there's messages going within their network or if there's a lot of messages going outside their network and they're losing patients and losing referrals elsewhere, we can see that as well. So there's a lot of data that you can tease out of the application that becomes helpful as far as spotting patterns as well as spotting different utilization jumps or lack thereof uh, within current clients that we have. Yeah, I think the referral tracking is a very interesting use case. You know, you can very clearly see where it's going and take action as required. But I want to go back to the, the actual data itself. So as I understand it, your product is a communication platform. You don't really see the actual content of the communication. So in that sense, you're like cloud providers. You're hosting the data, but you don't really see what the data is. And so you're maintaining right. the privacy of the patient. So I imagine the hospital has the data. They can actually see the communication where does it go? Where are they storing? Are they storing it or is it transient data? It just, you know, throw it away. What is happening to all this communication, all the text that's yeah. being changed? Yeah, so it's HIPAA compliant. We're also high trust certified. So we've got the highest level of security available. It's encrypted on the device itself within an app container and it's encrypted in transit as well. So 
we cannot as a company see any of the messages at all going back and forth. A healthcare system typically takes two options. First, they may just store the metadata and keep the metadata and let the conversations fade into the ether. We actually have the patents on the ephemeral text message. And I would say about half of our clients choose to keep the messages somewhere between 15 and 30 days, and then they're gone and they are gone forever. There is no way to retrieve them after that. The other half of our clients choose to either do an integration with an EMR. I know we talked about that a little bit earlier and actually store the conversations within the context of the electronic medical record. Or the more preferred method is for them to store those conversations and archive them. We provide an archiving service as well for them if they would they would like, they can archive them themselves if they choose, or they can archive them uh, with us. And I think we can keep them for up to 50 years. That's interesting. So, so the sense I'm getting is that they're probably not digging deep into the text right now, uh, except maybe to look at recent messages to, to understand the here and now and uh, what to do about it. Uh, but there may be at some point in future, some, uh, some insight that comes out of analyzing these vast amounts of text data, especially if they're going to be combined in some way with uh, clinical notes in the, in the electronic health record system. So it's kind of TBD, as I understand. Yeah, there's a lot that goes back and forth, and it's hard to, you know, even if you're talking to a patient, you know, the beginning of that conversation may be very friendly, very colloquial, not something you would want to store, you know, in, in the medical record. So there's, there's a lot of trade-offs in sort of picking and choosing what you're storing. And then also, you know, within the data itself, you know, there may be some useful things in there, but we've, we've really shied away from that in order to maintain uh, the highest level of privacy we can. As far as what we've done to leverage the network for medical information, best practices, things like that, one of the things that we did a couple of weeks ago was we launched a physician-only network. It was by invitation. It was open to physicians within our client base, as well as physicians outside of our client base, and establishing a network where we could connect verified physicians to comment on and share information on the best and the latest treatments available for COVID-19. And we've seen a very large usage of that network so far. As far as I know, it's the only one of its kind. We've been sort of comparing it to, you know, some of the Facebook physician groups and things like that that are out there where you have, you know, hundreds of thousands of folks that are involved and you see lots of, you know, political content, content that's not sourced, different things like that. And information is coming at us so quickly nowadays as healthcare practitioners we felt we wanted a place where folks could go to be able to share the best and the latest around what has come out. So we're taking time to curate some really high quality content and then sharing it amongst those physicians. Sort of. So in a way, we are mining our network, but in a little bit of a different way. We're still leaving all the messages that go back and forth private, but we're allowing folks now to go on there and do something a little bit different than we have before, but share high quality content you know, across the United States. And, uh, you know, we're really seeing some really nice up-to-date and quality content being shared because this is still such a new disease for us. You know, information that's a week old is often dated. So we wanted to provide a place where they could keep up to date. Yeah. 
So we're coming up to the close of our time here. Well, I just wanted to ask you one last question here. How do you see all this changing the way healthcare is delivered in future? What does a new normal look like to you, whatever, whenever that may come about? Yeah, that's a good question. I hope that this represents a sea change. As I said earlier, I think this is the 9-11 moment for healthcare. You know, while this has been a, you know, crushing in some respects for us, I think that a lot of good is going to come out of this. And I think we're going to see a lot of these changes be permanent. You know, I think Medicare in the past has demonstrated if you can, if they can find a way to save money, they'll do it. And I think the changes that we've made to telehealth are going to end up saving them a lot of money and being a lot more efficient. And that is one that I would like to see permanently change and and being able to have people receive care from within their homes and keep them there rather than dragging them into an office for a checkup that could have been performed you know, remotely. I think that is a change that hopefully will not go away because I think we're going to be in this for a while here as far as you know, we're going to see some improvement, but the desire to keep patients away from your physical facility and away from your office, I think that's going to be something that's with us for a long time. And I see that change hopefully sticking around permanently. I think that's one that's that's really here to stay. I think the other one is going to be healthcare systems establishing a communication network. You know, we're in this CCNC or this clinical collaboration and communication space. I think most people would be surprised at how relatively undeveloped the entire space is. I would still say that most providers, especially most big providers, do not have a good handle on the breadth of their network and can't communicate to all of their physicians or all of their practitioners in a meaningful and connected way. We see patchwork communication systems all over the place where you know they might be using six or seven different applications as well as a couple different EMRs to try and communicate. And what we found is most people end up not using that at all and either going to an application like ours or simply resorting to text message or iMessage, something not secure, not trackable, not reportable, and, and really not good for you know, healthcare or for the patient. So I think you'll see a, a big uptake after this is all over in these clinical communication and collaboration platforms. And I, and I hope that's one that's here to stay as well. Yeah, and we are certainly seeing uh, a lot of money coming in to support this. We saw the FCC announce a $200 million investment the other day, which uh, is exclusively for telehealth. And, uh, and then, of course, yep. uh, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of the money that comes out of the, the fiscal relief package, $100 billion or so has been set aside for hospitals and providers. And my guess is uh, as providers get used to uh, virtual care as more of the norm, Uh, then the exception, which is what it is today. A lot of this money is going to go towards strengthening these technologies and uh, modifying the treatment protocols and care protocols and so on and so forth, just just to get on board with the notion of delivering care virtually as a matter of routine. And only for the exceptions, you bring people into a hospital. So it's going to be interesting times for sure. And uh, first of all, you know, congratulations. You guys are in, seem to be in the right place at the right time, no matter what the circumstances may have been, but it is what it is. And wish you and your team all the very best. And thank you for joining us today on this podcast, Well, Yeah, thanks, Patty. Thanks for having me and best of luck to you as well. Thank you very much. 
We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.